this is the Consciousness Podcast, and I'm your host, Stuart Preston. Each episode, I have a conversation with an expert in human consciousness. In this episode, I had the honor of speaking with Dr. John Weber. Dr. Weber is a practicing psychiatrist whose patients have experienced past life regression and near-death experiences. He is also the author of the book, The Red Chair, the story of John and his patient, Judy, who discovered past lives and a connection with spirituality, which led them to healing that they thought previously impossible. We discuss near-death experiences and other psi phenomena as they relate to consciousness. Please enjoy this episode with Dr. John Weber. Dr. Weber, thank you so much for, for joining me. I wanted to kind of get your insight into what, how you see consciousness and how it works because you've had some um, pretty amazing experiences. So why don't we start with that and, and tell us kind of the, the impetus behind you know, your book, uh, The Red Chair, and talk to us about some of those experiences and maybe just give a little bit of, a, of an introduction and a background for us to launch from there. Uh, no problem, Stuart. And thank you for um, allowing me to be part of the conversation. I've, um, I've listened to lots of your podcasts and they're brilliant. And it's nice to be, you've had some wonderful guests, you know, Edward Kelly and Dean. Well, Ray. thank you. Um, so it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so look, just to, just to give you a little bit of my background, the, um, you know, my background is obviously I'm a psychiatrist. Um, and so my background essentially is, is kind of the old-fashioned medical um, science one. So I, I used to have um, a very firm belief that the brain was the, uh, the sole source of, um, of consciousness, um, which I think is probably true for, for most doctors these days, even now. So, um, um, so it was, you know, purely coming from the brain, and when we die, you know, that's, that's the end of it. Um, yeah. But then then I did get some, um, there were a number of things that, that sort of came into my life. You know, my son-in-law um, saw a medium and, and, and told me some details of that that were quite extraordinary. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that later. And, uh, and then my daughter gave me Many Lives, Many Masters by Brian Weiss, a, a psychiatrist, um, a, you know, a very established, um, well-credentialed psychiatrist who had an extraordinary experience with one of his patients going back into a past mm-hmm. life. Uh, and then I, I just started researching um, and reading um, about psychic phenomenon and um, uh, mediums and, and near-death experiences and, and reincarnation, both with regard to children um, and, and with regard to, mm. you know, and it just, it sort of, it's, it, it sort of took me over, uh, to be honest. It's it, like, it's, um, I couldn't, I couldn't ignore it. I had ignored it for, for many years um, when patients talked about it. And then my patients started telling me their, their stories, which I, I think I'd probably previously dismissed. Um, so now my, um, you know, my opinion is, um, is, is almost the opposite to, um, to what I previously had. And it's it probably very similar to one of your recent speakers, Mark Gober, um, where it's completely on its head. You know, now I would argue that, that consciousness precedes matter, um, that there, mm. there probably is one primary source of consciousness or a, a universal consciousness, if you like, um, and that that is the... Is, is the source of um, our physical being, if you like, and that it's, um, it's manifest this world of, of form and time, um, including our physical bodies. Um, so in, in a sense, I, I see it as, as that our brain, um, if you like, is the filter of that broader or universal consciousness, mm-hmm. um, albeit with a, um, a narrow bandwidth um, so that we, we only get, you know, a very limited um, experience based on our, our senses. And my feeling is that, that when, when people have those, um, 
uh, near-death experiences or, or even the experiences on psychedelics, for example, or, um, at, or under hypnosis um, or psychic phenomenon, that they're somehow broadening that bandwidth and tapping into that, um, that broader consciousness, um, which we're normally not very aware of. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. And, um, um, but I love, I love um, the stories that, um, that, that go with, you know, and, that, and I suppose that's the thing that really kind of pushed me. You know, I had patients who started telling me stories about um, their own psychic um, experiences and, um, and if you like visitations or whatever it was, or their near-death experiences. And that was the thing that, um, if you like, sort of drove me to write the book. And I'd had one patient in particular um, who's called Judy in the book. Um, and she was, she'd had a couple of near-death experiences and she'd been incredibly unwell for, for many, many years. And so I've, I finally sort of bit the bullet and decided to, um, to do past life regression on her to just in the hope that that might help her because she really was um, extraordinarily unwell and, and everything we tried hadn't worked. Um, and, um, you know, the, um, she, the, her response, she was a very good hypnotic subject. So her, um, uh, her experiences were quite extraordinary, not just going into past lives, but, um, if what we would call between lives and then having other sort of psychic, um, phenomenon happening, happening, which, um, uh, were quite extraordinary, including, um, going into the future, she have this sort of guide, if you like, or tapping into some sort of consciousness um, that would tell her about things that were going to happen, or even things related to me. And they were um, they were they were quite extraordinary. So for me, it's the it's the stories that um, yeah uh, uh, that in the end were the confirming factors. You know, you could, I did lots of reading, but it in it's the stories from patients and friends, not just patients. Um, uh, that um, that it inspired me to um, uh, to to write the book and um, and in the hope that that other people like you would explore the idea that that um, you know that consciousness may be more than just um, limited to our to our brains. So um, yeah, so that's that's kind of <laughs> that's that's it in a nutshell. Um, and um, but I'm you know uh, I mean look for example I. Um, uh, I had a, I saw a new patient recently, and she she came to me um, and said she said oh look I do have weird stuff happen to me. Um, she said look just the other day I had a dream um, where I dreamt that I was at the funeral of my best friend's mother, um, and she woke up from the dream and and thought to herself well that's silly because I know um, her mother's completely well, and of course later that day um, her best friend's mother died. And, and of course, she ended up going to the funeral. So the, wow. it, it, now in the past, I, I probably would have somehow dismissed that and, and said, well, that's just, uh, it's coincidence or it's, or it's luck. Um, but it's things, it's things like that. I mean, again, another patient I saw recently, um, and he'd read the book and, uh, and he said, look, you know, it's extraordinary. He said, like just the other day, I was, I was walking down the street and, um, it was a, it was, it's a fairly busy street with shops on both sides. We call it a strip shopping center. Um, and mm -hmm. he was walking, it was walking downhill. So it was going at a bit of a pace and there was a woman in front of him with a, um, with a pram, with a baby in the pram, and um, and another young child in in her hand, um, walking along, and he said, for absolutely no known reason, he then he suddenly grabbed her and said, "Stop," 
And he was, a, he was a bit shocked with himself for doing it. But a split second later, um, a car raced out of a, a hidden laneway right in front of the pram. Um, and th- there's, mm. you know, no question that, that that probably would have hit the, uh, the, the pram at, at a minimum. Um, and the woman suddenly turned around and said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Um, if anything, she should have been a bit, uh, a bit annoyed that some man had, um, had grabbed her. But both of them were, were shocked and he, he couldn't explain why he did it. So, um, so it's stories yeah, like... So that's something, and that's something that now you're, you're saying there, there's something to that. Before, you would have thought to yourself, well, that's just a coincidence. Exactly. And so maybe, maybe uh, talk to us, maybe, maybe it's, uh, Judy, you know, talk to us about... Um, what really opened your eyes to this different perspective on, on consciousness from what you held in the beginning? What was like the, was it Judy that was she the primary case or was there another one that really made you start to kind of reevaluate things and see things differently? No, in truth, it was, um, it was, uh, there were two things. One, my son-in-law, um, came to me. Um, he's a lovely guy, Sam, and his, um, his brother had, um, had died from a brain tumor and, um, and it was Mm. a, rapidly developing brain tumor and he, he was he was really quite sad about it and his um his brother had um uh had left him his car um uh in his will um and the car unfortunately was was a wreck it, it was it was unrepairable but um but right. sam got really sad about it and he felt like he couldn't um he couldn't dispose of it um because of um right. you know sentimental value yeah. so he's his mother said, look, apparently there's this lady, Monica, who's a, who's a terrific medium, um, perhaps. And his mother's a little bit interested in the psychic stuff. Sam wasn't. Um, and Sam said, oh, okay, I'll go and do that. So he went and he, you know, he anonymously rang up Monica and, and went and saw her. And she knew, so she knew nothing about him. Um, and when he, when he saw Monica, you know, the first thing she said, um, and I know you've, you've interviewed death doulas before you've, um, you've interviewed, um, Deborah Diamond, I think it was, who's a medium. Deborah Diamond. Yep. Deborah Diamond. Yeah. So this woman said, look, what, what they do is that they, um, uh, they show you evidence just to, 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 to let you know that they're there, that they're still around. And, and the first thing that, that she did was say, well, look, he's, he's holding his, his head in his hands. And so did he die from something to do with his, um, with his brain? Um, or to do with his head. And, uh, and of course, that was true. He dried from a brain tumour. And my first thought was, well, okay, that you could get lucky. Um, and then she described a few things about his personality, which were, which were accurate. Uh, and I think five minutes in, she then said, and he's, he's telling you to get rid of the car. You know, don't worry about the car. Does, does that make any sense to you? <laughs> and, of course, it made complete sense to Sam because that was one of his primary yeah. concerns. And then I think soon after, another five minutes later, she said, oh, now he's, he's, saying, um, he's saying Timmy and he's laughing. Um, does that make any sense to you? Um, and, and what happened was that um, Sam said, well, when I, was, when I was a young teenager, he and my other older brother used to um, tease me and call me little Timmy. Um, so it was, it was incredibly specific. Um, mm. And fortunately, he had the tape. So I, I ended up listening to the tape because I, I needed to, um, to, sort of to verify um, exactly what right. she So for me, that was, that was quite profound. Um, and then at the same when time... That, when that happens, and that was the, that, this was the first instance that made you kind of start to 
open your mind to a different a different perspective. Exactly, Stuart. I'd uh, up until then, patients had told me their 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 sort of extraordinary stories or their mystical stories or um, um, psychic ones, and they told me about their their near death experiences. And I, you know, I just had broadly um, had broadly dismissed it. My my father in law, for example, I mean, a lovely man who only recently, and I'll I'll tell you the story about him. Um, he had a near death experience when he was. Um, in his 30s, so he was in, in, in Glasgow in Scotland um, and he was, his little car was hit by a double-decker bus and he had a, a tear in his aortic arch. Um, so he mm. was, it was, it was the very early days of heart bypass and um, he was written up in The Lancet because he was only the second man ever to have had Dacron used to replace his aortic arch. Um, mm. But he while he was on the operating table with chest open and, and you know, the surgeons um, working on his heart and his, his aorta, he, um, he floated out of his body um, and, um, and looked back down on it. And he said, he said there was this profound sense of, of peace um, and well-being. And in his words, he said, there was just a sense of no judgment. Um, it, was, it was, they were his words and they've always stuck with me. Um, and then um, he said it was weird because he could kind of move in any direction he wanted to just by thinking about it. And he's also, he's an engineer, so he's a very smart guy. And he, he, um, he, was, he remembered thinking he was looking down on the operating table and his body and, and he thought to himself, well, I know this is real, as in where he was at the, at the top of the room, um, and, and what's that down there? So there was this odd feeling that, that the, the body and the, the surgical, um, the surgeons were, were something different. Um, and then he started moving mm. towards a beautiful light. Um, but that's all, he, he didn't have all the features of a classic near-death experience, but they were, they were very profound for him. Uh, and he, he woke up, you know, three days later in the ICU with tubes coming out of everywhere. Um, so right. he's written up written up in the Lancet, but, but not his near-death experience. So now he, he's, a, he's a lovely man, and he, but he wouldn't talk a lot about that because he didn't want people to discount it or dismiss it. Um, and when he told me, to be honest, I was a young doctor. So um, I, um, and I, in my own mind, I did dismiss it. I just thought, oh, no, he's had some kind of hallucination, um, some, right. which is still, I think, what a lot of doctors would, um, would think today. They'd, they'd still talk about that kind of thing as being, um, and in fact, you know that that frustrates me now because I, you know, I've read lots of books on near death experiences, and um, and I think they're clutching at straws. They still say, well, there must be some unrecordable part of the brain that's still working, um, and you know, I, I, as um, uh, Bernardo Castrop would say, you know, I think that's baloney. Um, I just, I don't think that. <laughs> yeah. I would, I mean, I'll talk, I can talk a bit more about that too, because I, you know, now, um, anyway, I'll go back to the father-in-law. So I, I, I kind of, I quietly dismissed that back and I'd had other patients with near-death experiences. And in fact, Judy had had two near-death experiences. She'd, um, hmm. on one occasion, she had an illness called Guillain-Barre, um, which can, can be fatal. It causes paralysis of all right. of the muscles. And she ended up on a, on a respirator, um, and while, you know, while on the respirator and in induced coma, she floated out of her body and, and went up into the corner of the room and looked back down on her body being, you know, and her chest being pumped up and down. Um, and again, she said it just felt beautiful. It was um, profoundly lovely. And, um, 
And then she had a, a kind of a, a beautiful gold light come over her, her left shoulder and it said to her, well, it's not your time yet. Um, you know, this is, mm. um, you have to look after the, the kids. Um, and <laughs> what, what's fascinating, and, and she just said it was all beautiful. And she's, she was interested because she said, I don't know why I didn't look around and, um, to see who was talking to me. But um, she didn't. I think she was too busy looking at her body um, on the uh, yeah. you know, but I, 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 I caught up with her again probably about nine weeks later um, when she'd finally got to the point where she, she could walk again, um, albeit with a, uh, with a frame. And, I, and she came into the room and, um, and she's quite a character, um, which, which you'll get a sense of in the, in the book because she's, she's quite a delight, um, but very colourful. And she said, well, it just didn't make sense, you know, because he definitely said kids. Um, and I've only got one kid and I've, I've had an endometrial ablation, so I can't have any more. Um, and so it didn't mm. for her quite make sense. Of course, at the time, her daughter was, um, was 16 um, and she was pregnant a year later. Uh, and, and Judy's been helping to look after um, the grandkids ever since. So, um, uh, so the, mm. the kids in the end did make sense. Um, right. So that back then when I was a young doctor, even then when I, and when I was looking after her, somehow I still, um, I still kind of dismissed it and, um, and turned it into something to do with a, a brain aberration or, or something like she had another one as well when she took a very serious overdose um, and, and ended up um, having to be resuscitated. And during the resuscitation, she um, again floated out of her body and, and looked back down on it um, and, and could see mm. them. She put it using the paddles on her um, to try and get her, um, her heart going again. Um, so, and despite both of those, I still um, was, was, was happy to try and um, squeeze that into the old fashioned view of brain function right. and, and see it as some form of hallucination uh, or, or brain spasm. So that, in the end, um, that, that was the history. Um, but hearing about the medium from, from a son-in-law and then my daughter gave me a book called Many Lives, Many Masters. I don't know if you know about it. Um, it was by a, a psychiatrist, Brian Weiss. Um, he was the, the chairman of the Department of Psychiatry at um, Miami University. He was connected to Mount Sinai, um, was on a, a really extraordinary, you know, academic trajectory. Um, and he'd had a patient that he couldn't get better and he um, decided as a last resort, um, she had all sorts of, of, of problems to do with her swallowing and a whole range of phobias. And he, so he did hypnosis on her um, and took her back into her, um, into her earlier life. Um, now, that, that, that revealed a little bit of something in her earlier life, um, and, but it didn't help her. So he then did the hypnosis again. And this time he just said, look, go back to when your problems began. So, um, and, and all of a sudden she started talking about her life from, um, from centuries before um, and talking wow. about it in great detail with, um, uh, with significant emotion. Um, and I think that first one was where she was in a, uh, in a warlike situation and she ended up having her throat cut um, at, the, at the end of her life. Um, but what was, mm. fa what was fascinating about that was that um, she, um, she actually, her problems with swallowing then disappeared. So it's, it's almost as if that, and, and again, there's a whole, it's fascinating to discuss it, the idea that something related to the consciousness of an event in a past life um, 
could could impact on uh, on us in our current lives, and um, and that's probably where where people get you know get very interested and excited about the idea of doing past life regressions, which I did as well. But but Brian Weiss yeah. was very. I mean, in his book, he you know he was he was dumbfounded, and he was trying to say, well, does she have schizophrenia? Does she have some other um, extraordinary kind of illness that I haven't taken account of? Um, but in the end, he actually couldn't he couldn't explain it in normal psychiatric terms or, or psychiatric diagnosis. So he kept doing the hypnosis on her, and um, and and she just kept getting better. And she would go back into these these past lives that were um, were just fascinating, and um, and the result was that she was getting better. What also happened during that um, was that she then started talking about things to do with him and about the death of a very young child that he had um, that he'd always mm. been very sad about. That, you know, and it was a young child, I think, you know, only weeks old, um, who had a a, a really an abnormal heart problem and in this I think the patient was called Catherine in the book and um, when she was in a hypnotic state she would then describe um, exactly what had happened to this this child and none of that information was available this was before the days of Google or um, any of anything like that so there's no way that she could have known um, the details of, of um, his son or the, 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 the medical problems related to his son. Um, and she even gave him, um, talked about his name, which was a very, um, a very specific family Jewish name. Um, and that, um, it was things like that that I think Brian, um, in the end, just couldn't ignore at all. So um, he's, he, he wrote... So you found yourself... Yeah, and you found yourself in a similar situation. How, how did the how did the shift go in your own mind from where you were as a young doctor to having to accept some of this evidence that you saw and then kind of wrap wrap new beliefs around it or new perspectives or new understandings around it? How did how did that shift go yeah. for you in that's, your mind? That's a really good question because in the end, I I. For some time, I, I remained, you know, sceptical. It was because it, <laughs> you're really, you know, your, your thinking is very hardwired and you're constantly getting, um, I suppose, reinforced in your daily life. The, the you know, yeah. idea that everything here is, is real and that's all there is. Um, and, and, of course, my, um, my sense of self, if you like, my identity um, was very attached to being a, a doctor and a, and a psychiatrist and... Um, uh, and so it was, it was, there was this sort of, um, uh, battle going on in my mind as, as I was reading more and, and listening to, to friends and patients about their stories. Um, was this actually possible or was it not possible? Was I, um, so I, I kind of, um, you know, I, I still remain skeptical for a while, even though I was reading, you know, these extraordinary stories, um, like some of the ones I've told you. Um, and it's, and I, I suppose I talk about that in the book, that that process of, of trying to um, to reconcile um, these um, these things. But in the end, um, uh, I just I just couldn't ignore it. It was just it was kind of overwhelming um, for me. The um, you know you know because I had patients who were talking about um, their their deceased relatives visiting them. Um, I. Um, it, it, what, it, I'll, I'll tell you this one story because it was quite funny. I was I was playing golf with yeah. um, 
friends over in New Zealand um, with a couple of other psychiatrists and and we got to a place called Queenstown in New Zealand. It's very beautiful. Um, and we um, we quickly played nine holes of golf that night and um, and then went to bed having not watched any television or anything. We got up the next morning and, and one of the psychiatrists said, he said, oh man, I had this really weird dream last night um, where, you know, I was looking out, out of the hotel window and there was this sort of two-storey wave of water coming at me. And he said it completely freaked him out. So, you know, he got out of bed and went to the toilet. And, um, and my other psychiatrist friend said, yeah, man, I had a, a very weird dream as well um, where I was, I was trying to put out these fires, but they, they weren't normal fires. They were a funny colour and, and I, I just couldn't put them out. They were everywhere. Um, so, and, and they said, did you have a dream? And I said, no, I got nothing. Um, so we went off and played, um, golf that day. And, um, and when we got back from the golf, we, we looked up at the television screen on the, uh, in the clubhouse and there that night had been the tsunami, um, in Asia and, uh, and Japan and mm. uh, meltdown of the, the Fukushima power plant and, um, and at the time, and I'd already been reading about all of these things at that stage. So I remember looking at the um, the other two and going, "Oh my God, you you, you guys have somehow tapped into <laughs> that, that collective consciousness." And and one of them was was a was pretty dismissive, but the other one, I have to to be fair, he he over time he was absolutely became more and more accepting, um, and he started reading about these things. I think when he read even Alexander's book, you know, Proof of Heaven, um, which was his yeah. personal personal description of a um, of a near-death experience for him that, right. that got him over the um, over the edge but it, it, all of these things were happening Stuart and I was um and I was increasingly you know just starting to realize that I, I couldn't ignore it and I had to um I had to to take it on and I'd, I'd done I started doing hypnosis on um to start with I actually did it on a on a um on a friend of my wife's um she said oh look I'm interested in that kind of thing and um, um I'm happy to be John's guinea pig and I'd again quite quite probably not coincidentally I, I don't think anything's coincidence anymore um I was psychiatrists yeah. aren't normally taught hypnosis anymore it's it's more the domain of psychologists if you like um, but I'd been taught hypnosis in my final year of, of training um, just because I was at a particular hospital where um, the hypnosis training was, was um, the organisation in Victoria was happening. So I'd actually learned hypnosis. So I ended up doing it on this, this friend of my wife and, um, and she was a fantastic hypnotic subject. She would, she would go into a really deep state and, um, and she then... Um, started she went back into past lives you know in ancient egypt and um american civil war and um you know as a merchant between you know in the northern northern china um elizabethan period you know it was she was quite extraordinary wow and she was she was shocked by it um uh, in the end but um again the the detail the um the emotion that would be attached to the um, to the experiences that she would describe were were quite extraordinary, and there was just no sense that she was making it up or, or imagining it or contriving it. Um, so it was really that was for me quite profound. Um, and in the end, what happened was that she, um, after she she was in the hypnotic state and she'd um, uh, described dying um i think it was a an ancient um, greek life actually and she died and what would happen is she'd then go up into this sort of 
um, between lives realm um, or spirit state or um, whatever people want to call it. And she would describe how beautiful that was and that she would meet other other souls and, and souls that she reincarnated with before and things like that. But then she went into this, it was like she was going into this special room and, um, and she described... Um, uh, it, 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 she couldn't actually explain it, um, and then she it was she just suddenly started talking to me as if she was someone else, and she said, "Well, I've got a I've got a message for the man sitting opposite me," and it was her voice changed. It was, mm. it was quite it was quite bizarre. It was a bit you know a bit freaky for me too, and 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 she said, um, you know, this is to tell you that your life is very different now. Um, it's all very, you know, it'll be fine. You know, just, just, it, I've, I've written the details of that because at this stage I was recording all the track, all the, um, all the hypnosis, um, sessions. So, so I could transcribe everything. Um, what was fascinating. So in the end, they were basically telling me to, to keep going down this path and, and this can be useful for patients. And, um, it, I mean, it sounds very, uh, people could dismiss it, but in the end, um, it was really quite extraordinary. And what was interesting is that that um, Jenny, she's called, she, um, when she came out of it, in the past, she'd always remembered her past lives, uh, you know, because I'd say, look, you'll remember all the details and, and she'd remember them. Mm -hmm. But this bit where she was somehow, it was like this, um, this higher being was talking to me, she had absolutely no memory of it. Um, so... Um, mm. So that, that was fairly extraordinary. So then I then I started, you know, there were a few patients that had had near-death experiences and I, um, and I chose to, um, and I spoke to them and said, look, and they'd been very, they'd been unwell and were still struggling. And I said, would you be interested to do a, um, a past life regression, um, you know, hypnosis? And, and both of them were, were very interested to do that. So, um, and, and both of them, again, perhaps not coincidentally, were, were good um, hypnotic subjects and both of them went into, um, into past lives that were um, really quite extraordinary, again, with amazing detail and, um, uh, and, uh, and emotion that you just, in the end, you just, you know, you sit back and you just go, just, there's no sense that they were making it up or, um, or imagining it. It was too spontaneous. Yeah. And I think, I think in the book I said the thing that finally got me over the line was with one of these patients I, um, I ended up um, doing the hypnosis and she, she actually rang me after about, because she'd been very well after all of that, and she rang and said, look, can I do, just do one more you know, past life regression? It feels like it's important. Um, so I said, yeah, sure. And, um, and she went back to this life um, and and she she and again all of this was recorded so it, you know the transcripts in the book but I and she said look I'm I'm sort of I'm outside it's really hot um, and I'm wearing a, a a long dress from neck down to down to my feet and I'm picking vegetables and um, it, she was giving all the details of what was happening and I live in this this big house with with pillars and it's white and it's uh, but it's very hot and then she went inside and. And there was a, a cook who, um, who was cooking at the time and the cook told her off because um, she shouldn't be outside in the heat because she was very pregnant. Um, and, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, this, this is probably something to do with the southern states of America. Um, so that was, that was what came to my mind because it was mm. so hot. The cook was olive-skinned, I think, not, not dark-skinned. Um, and I said to her, I said, look, what... Um, 
you know, what, what's, what time is this? What date is it? And she paused for a moment. She said, it's 1878. And she said, I know that um, because it's my 20th birthday today. You know, that's why the cooks here were having oh. a lot of friends over for a, um, uh, for a party. And I said, well, you know, where is this? Where do you live? And, um, and again, she, she paused for a moment and said, Cape May. And um, now for an Australian, um, they'll be different for an American, but for an Australian, we wouldn't have a clue where Cape May was. I, I had no idea when she said that. And I said, okay. And she said, oh, look, we don't live in town. We live in, um, you know, we live in an estate outside of town. Um, and then as you do in those situations, I said, look, just go forward um, to another important time in that lifetime. Um, and, she, um, and she suddenly said, oh, my God, you know, there's been a huge fire. Um, half of the town's been burnt down. Uh, we're trying to, um, to help friends. My husband's um, works with a lot of the businessmen there and, and they've been very affected and we're trying to help them. Um, my baby's been born, um, so we're okay. Um, anyway, that <laughs> she went, the rest of the life was pretty uneventful. Her husband died from TB, I think, and, um, um, but um, it, it moved on. Now, I, I asked her at the end of that session, I said, well, you know, do you know where Cape May is? And she said, well, you know, if, if, it, if, it, if it exists now, I wouldn't have a clue, you know, maybe it just existed back then. And um, so I, you know, I thought, okay, well, that's, that's interesting. I probably won't ever find out. Well, I, I went home that night and um, uh, my, my brother and sister-in-law were with us and um, my sister-in-law jumped on the computer and, and there it was in, in 1878 in, uh, in Cape May, a third of the town was, was burnt down. Um, hmm. and, uh, and for me, that was, that was the first time I'd had a, uh, a past life regression where there was that level of validation. Um, yeah. And, and for, you know, I mean, clearly she knew, knew nothing about it. And, and she's as honest as the day is long. She's a lovely lady. And uh, I, I have no idea. Now, Americans may well know where Cape May is, but um, Australians wouldn't have a clue. Um, so um, for me, that was, that was kind of a bit the deal breaker. And I thought, no, I really can't ignore any of this anymore. I have to, um, have to, have to pursue it. And that's when I started um, this, using the hypnosis on Judy. Um, the main right. character in the book, and um, and that you know she she happened to also be a, an excellent hypnotic subject, and um, she went back into a variety of different past lives, um, you know, in uh, Spain, you know, in the in the 16th century, and um, uh, again America on a couple of occasions, probably 1800s, um, you know, to um, uh, England and um, and France um, and there's a I won't I won't it's a bit of a um, uh, a spoiler if I tell the story but what what happened was the, her life in France was um, um, the um, she was male um, now this Judy had a, an appalling upbringing she had the most awful upbringing and she was barely educated um, and again you'll that's in the book but I, I won't go into the details of that but she was very uneducated um, but not unintelligent um, and um, but she'd done no reading on the whole subject so she went into this this past life in in France when she was where she was a male and she was helping to um, uh, rescue people from soldiers I think it was probably around the, the first world war um, and yeah. they were hiding these people under the um, under their floorboards. Um, now, eventually, what happened was that soldiers obviously found out and and shot him 
or you know her in that past life as a male uh, and then shot um, the wife and the children um, and I was, I was I was a bit shocked I thought oh my goodness I've I've traumatized her you know this is um, she had enough of she's had enough trauma in her life without me doing that to her um, and and when she when she came out of the hypnosis um, you know can I use colorful language um, she uh, she, she, her first words were that she looked at me and she said, what the fuck? She said, you didn't tell me I could be male. <laughs> so oh. so she, was, she was completely gobsmacked. She just presumed that if she, wow. um, she had past lives that she would be, um, that she'd be, be female. So, um, yeah. was, you know, that just knocked her around quite a lot. When she went back into her Spanish life, you know, she was describing the, the frills on the neck of the, um, of, of the, the, uh, the gentry at that time. And uh, it was, I think it was 1500s. And, um, and she described a, um, uh, a game that she was, that she was playing um, that was, um, uh, now what's the, um, where you, you know, you put pegs in the board. Um, uh, Oh, my God, I can't think of the name at the moment. I've written it down here somewhere. Um, but the, the, she also described the, the shape of the helmets um, that the soldiers were wearing um, at that time. Mm. And, um, and she was using her hands. This is in the hypnotic state. She was describing the, the curved helmets that, that, that then, you know, pointed up. And she afterwards right, she right. said, look, you know, John, I wouldn't have a clue. Would, would that be right? And in the end, I, I googled it, and, and yes, the helmets of, of Spanish soldiers in those days um, were exactly that. They were, um, yeah, uh, curved up into a into a point. Um, so that was, you know, that was also quite extraordinary. So in, yeah, yeah. What happened over time? It didn't happen overnight, um, but over time, doing those um, those those regressions on her um, became enormously helpful. It just, um, it, it gave her a different view of life. And, um, right, uh, right. And, and she also went into these, um, can I keep talking? Is that, it's, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's do a little pivot here and, and give me some perspective if you would on how you see uh, consciousness now. So I mean, there's a lot of stories you've heard here that are really impressive and obviously gave you a new look Exactly. And I don't know if it was in the beginning of our conversation or if it was before we actually started. You mentioned how your your perspective on consciousness shifted from, you know, it being with all produced by the brain to a different model. So if you wouldn't mind sharing, you know, from all these amazing stories, the shift in your view and how you would define or even look at consciousness as a result of that. Yeah, so I, I would I would now... Um, have it completely on its head. I, I would argue that consciousness comes first. Um, that in the end, um, that that consciousness, if you like, precedes matter, and that um, that our consciousness, um, or that broader universal consciousness, whatever you want to call it, um, is the thing that has um, man manifest this this world and uh, and all the all the physical aspects of it and and the time aspects of it so now i would have it completely the other way around um very much along the lines of what mark gobel was was talking about um that somehow there is a universal consciousness that we're all connected as part of that um in a, in a way that that's nearly impossible to properly describe or explain but that in, in a sense, we're all very, very connected and part of that. 
I, I love the, um, the metaphor of um, uh, that we're all ice blocks and, and Brian Weiss um, sort of talks about this, you know, that somehow we're in this physical state, it's like we're, we're ice blocks um, and we're all, you know, different shapes. Some of us are square and some of us are oblong and some of us are circular and some of us are funny shapes yeah. and we all look at each other and go, well, you know, look at, check them out. They've got funny edges or, or they've got, you know, they've got uh, a few air bubbles in them and <laughs> so and a sense that we're all separate but if you raise the temperature and you raise the the vibration of those ice blocks they melt and all become part of the the same body of water um a little bit like bernardo castro when he when he talked about you know we're all part of the same stream we've just got little different eddies um within that stream yeah and then if you raise the temperature yeah of the of that, that body of water it becomes vapor it becomes gas um, and then if you raise that even higher it um, you know you get separation of molecules and if you raise it even higher you get separation of the individual atoms so that that somehow that's for me that's the metaphor that in the end there is a, a consciousness and a connectedness um, that we're part of um, that, that can't be completely explained um, and that goes at the moment goes way beyond our um, capacity to um, explain it with our current science. There's, there's no doubt that, that quantum, you know, quantum physics is starting to, um, to look at some of that stuff, you know, the, the string theory and the, and the connectedness, um, the, the idea that consciousness um, uh, can change outcomes, you know, the slit experiments of Dean Radin and, um, and the like, um, and and the idea yeah. that time is um, is an illusion, you know that that as um, as Einstein said, that that time's just a, a stubbornly persistent illusion, um, and that it may well not exist at that at that higher consciousness level. Um, so the so the the you know, and I'm no expert in in quantum physics, but the the um, at all, but those kind of elements of the quantum. Um, um, uh, exploration are, are really interested in and and they certainly parallel um, the idea that that consciousness um, is, is certainly goes beyond our brain so yes I'm I'm really it really is on its head now I'm, um, I believe that there's a consciousness that um, a universal consciousness if you like um, and I think again without getting too spiritual or too my, my sense is that that universal consciousness is something very lovely very wonderful you know the 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 passion that people talk about when they have their near-death experiences um and the sense of peace and well-being and and profound love um is is yeah. quite extraordinary and i think one of your guests you know i think it was pim van Lommel or or some no it might have been mark gober again talking about you know the people doing past life reviews and um and right and the, sense of um of peace and uh, and joy and and understanding the importance of of looking after each other um those those things are um i think are, are part of that consciousness and in the end some people will call it you know that that universal consciousness in the end becomes you know god or the divine or all that is or um uh, or source and and for me it doesn't matter yeah words you use but that's that's i think that there's there's a lot of um that's my sense of it that that universal consciousness that precedes you know this this world of, of form and um and time is is something quite marvelous something quite wonderful um but it's it's tough because we're we're down here in this paradigm 
and um, and it's quite extraordinary. And I'm you know I'm still working pretty much full time, and I see lots of patients who are you know who are struggling with with all the the elements of um, of our, our current lives. So uh, while it's lovely to contemplate all of those things, that you know it's not always easy to apply um, those to our current. Um, to our, our, our current lives. So as a psychiatrist, you know, I mean, there, there are movements that would say you don't need medication. And, you know, if you just get your head into the right space, um, everything will be lovely, everything will be wonderful. Um, but, you know, that's a lot easier said than done. So, um, you know, right, as, a, right. as a psychiatrist, while I love the idea of doing past life regressions, and I will do it if I think it's appropriate. And if people have had, you know, quite profound psychic experiences or near-death experiences, or if I think it's really helpful and, and um, but in other cases, I'm, you know, I'm still treating them with antidepressants and um, still doing, doing the normal therapies um, that we do. So, um, so it's a, it's, yeah, I'm, I've got, I've, I've almost like I have to keep two sets of books, you know, I've got the, um, my, my view of consciousness and, um, and the fact that, that this is, is in, in a sense, is almost not the real world. The real world is the, um, that primary universal consciousness. Um, but at the same time, I'm living in this, this, this paradigm in this world, so I've um, got to make the most of it. And, I, and I, I think that's what we've all got to do. We've got to um, do our very best to, um, to enjoy it uh, and, and make yeah. the most of it. Um, which and which is why I love your podcast. I think it's um, it's fantastic. It's 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 which is why I wrote the book. Um, it's to encourage people to think outside the square and contemplate the idea that there is there just is more to us. Um, and um, and in the end, when you start reading about it and um, and start exploring it, um, it really is nearly impossible to ignore. Um, what's interesting, and I will say, a couple of people I've spoken to recently who've read the book or, or talked about it, and they say, I, I believe what you're saying, and I, I kind of believe that people have those experiences, and I kind of get that, therefore, there must be a, um, a consciousness that goes beyond the brain or that's outside of it, but it freaks me out. It's, it's, too, it's too scary. It's, um, so I just don't yeah. get it. Um, and I, I think that's true. I think, you know, for a lot of us, for me, it, it was, it took me a while. It took me a while to get my head around it and to get comfortable with it and to, you know, challenge the, my, my old ideas and my sense of identity as a psychiatrist. Um, but in the end, I couldn't ignore it. But it, I completely understand when people say, no, no, that's too freaky. That's too, um, too odd. Um, and I can't. Um, yeah, there's two sides. There's two sides of the pushback, it seems. There's the science, scientific medical side and then there's the spiritual religious side that yes. don't want to accept some of these things exactly no that that's perfectly put and um the uh and 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 yet you know the, the science is starting to to quietly move in that direction even psychedelics you know that that's fascinating as well and you know i think in the next 10 years you'll find that psychedelics are being used um, to treat to treat depression and uh, and uh, post traumatic stress disorder and you know people right. with profound fear of death. Um, so I think that's very likely. But what won't to get that done? The people who research that that stuff they won't talk about it in spiritual terms or talk about it in biological terms. So, so they'll still mostly attempt to explain it in terms of the function of the brain. But my hunch yeah. is that. It, you know, the psychedelics we're tapping into 
um, a, a sort of spiritual plane again, a, a broader consciousness um, that is that again then provides people with information or a, 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 an understanding um, or a belief that that is really helpful for them. So, but you're you're right. I mean, the, even within the, the medical and scientific fraternity to get funding, you've still somehow got to got to put it, you know, uh, in ways that that seem to be you know that that fit with the the old science. Um, and yet, I yeah. think a lot of that that will be, you know, exploring um, something that that relates more to the broader consciousness and and those issues. So yeah, so it's yeah, yeah there, there are lots of. Um, I mean, I always like quoting the um, Professor Nutt from um, um, Imperial College in London. He's done. He's a, a, right. a neuropsychopharmacologist, and um, and when people have um, psychedelics, because I think there's a lot of connections between similarities between psychedelics people having near-death experiences and people when they're in a deep hypnotic state um and um and he they've done fmris you know the functional mri so they watch the brain yep. operating when they're having the psychedelics and and what they've what they first expected was that the the, the brain would light up you know, with all these fantastic visual experiences and emotional experiences that the brain would sort of light up. And in fact, it's the opposite. The brain actually, if anything, winds down and the major control centres of the brain, if anything, slow down. So it's almost as if um, you, you, you're slowing the brain down in order that it can tap into that that bigger bandwidth. It can tap into that, that sort of um, consciousness yeah. that... Those. And I think that's probably what hypnosis does. Hypnosis is simply um, focused concentration. It's just getting you into a very focused state where you're shutting off the, the rest of the brain and stopping that from interfering with, um, with your thinking. So it's a very sort of focused state. And I think that when people go into a very deep focused state, they have the capacity to tap into a consciousness um, that is outside their brains, that, that goes beyond them. I mean, we've all, we all have them. I mean, you know, when you're driving the car and you suddenly think, you know, holy mackerel, you know, I haven't been paying attention the last kilometre. I've got no idea what was happening. Um, right. That's a classic sort of um, trance state because um, your brain's been thinking about something else. Your body's been still driving the car, but your brain has been somewhere else. Um, so we, we can all, we all have the capacity to um, to go into those kind of trance states. Um, and again, and I one think... one thing I... Yeah, shoot. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go. I, and one thing I find interesting as you're talking about this is uh, two, two, two or three concepts you've mentioned is, you know, the, the past life regressions. And obviously there is uh, memories to be tapped into. Yeah. And then you mentioned, I think something like between life, the between life state yeah. that you're, you're in between two different lives. And then you also mentioned reincarnation. So I wonder what your opinion is of, consciousness because sometimes when you talk about a universal consciousness it's almost as if you're talking about you know quantum matter quantum particles quantum waves that are creating you know our existence but some of the things you're talking about imply that there is a an individual an identity within that universal consciousness that uh, is uh, pulled in by this filter brain, the radio receiver brain of different bodies at different times. 
but when it's pulled out of that body, it still retains some memories from all that. So it's almost like it's one entity that comes in and has multiple experiences in these things I call meat bags, right? That it comes down and and, and taps into that. Is that kind of your view of what's going on? Yeah, look, that's just a great question because it's so, um, you know, when I start getting into the detail, it, it's so hard to, um, to put it all together. Um, the, you know, yes, I do think we people are in that hypnotic state um, that are tapping into a memory of a, of a previous life. Um, and, and it's probably a previous life that's connected to them, you know, and that we've got all of these... Um, We've all got a soul, if you like. Um, we've all got a, a, a spirit or a soul, and that, that that soul has lived, you know, many lives and and may well live future lives. But then, yeah. um, and some people might argue that that in fact, in the hypnotic state, you're just tapping into a collective consciousness. That it's not your past life. Um, that it's a mm-hmm. um, specific but i that that doesn't quite ring true the ian stevenson who did a lot of work with children um in and their memories of past life and i haven't talked about that but his work is is extraordinary i mean he was the university of virginia and and uh, worked with a lot of people right. institute and things like that and his the hard thing about his work is he was so scrupulous um, with what he did. Reading his work is sometimes quite difficult. But he, you know, he investigated some nearly 3,000 children who were talking about their past lives. Um, and what was fascinating about, about his work was that, you know, he would, in some cases, he could, the children would, you know, um, talk about some 15 or 16 specific details. And he would then be able to go and verify um, the majority of those details of a person that had lived, you know, um, you know, 20 or, or 40 years ago. So it's quite, right. spect- quite spectacular. But some of those children had birthmarks and he was able to then, um, this, he, well, he discovered that the means by which the person had died in the previous life, which the, and the child usually didn't remember that, but he would discover it when he was doing his research, the means by which was the the reason they had the birthmark. Um, you know, one one child mm. had a, a depigmentation um, in its chest, a, a circular area of depigmentation, and he discovered that that in that past life, um, when he researched it and found you know that that particular person, um, that he'd accidentally died from a gunshot wound to um, uh, to his chest. Um, so, yeah. it, so th- there's a sense that the uh, yeah I'm. I'm might be a bit all over the shop, but it's really hard to, there's a sense that that consciousness or that um, awareness is transmitted into the next life um, um, in the same way that, that people, you know, um, have bring in their phobias um, and their fears from, from something that's happened in a, in a previous life. Um, yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's so it's, I think it all operates in layers. I, um, you know, the yes, we, we have souls, yes, we have past lives, yes, we have future lives, that's what I believe. Um, but in the end, all of us, um, like the ice cubes, in the end, are actually part of something even bigger. Um, and and that's, that's the best way I can put it. So it's, it's like it's, it's operating at different levels. Um, when we're down yeah. here at at this level, you know, that we're the meat bags and we're, you know, doing our best. But, yes, we can tap into other lives that we've lived and I think we, we have and, and have future lives. Um, 
and we between those lives there is this spirit world um, where you know we we communicate with telepathy and um, and we choose our lives which a lot of my patients don't like the idea of because that you know um, but the idea that we would even choose our lives um, and that's kind of at a higher level and then but I suspect in the end there are higher levels again and and that we're all somehow connected to those even higher levels. It does, it sounds very spiritual and I suspect it is, um, but there, there are different sort of layers or levels of, of that consciousness. And um, yeah. uh, down here where the meat bags and you know, sometimes we can tap into that, um, that uh, consciousness of our souls and, and other lives and between lives in that spirit state. But I suspect it, um, that there are higher levels again, and that in the end, we're part of that, um, that our consciousness, our soul is part of that um, at an even higher yeah. level. That's, that's the best way I can put it. It's really oh. hard to explain that. It's really, really, really tricky. But that, that yeah. I think, that connectedness in the end is ongoing. People, it is, it's hard. People don't like the idea of um, uh, losing their in individuality. Um, so that idea that somehow we connect up almost completely and, and become part of one consciousness is a little bit, a bit scary. Um, so again, another reason why um, it's, it's, you know, a bit easier to avoid all of that. But I, I think that's probably in the end what happens. We're all part of a, that universal consciousness, which is at a very, at an even higher level. Um, but in between whilst there are, you know, meat bags here and, and past lives and, and then the spirit state, which is what I think people with near-death experiences are tapping into, that, that lovely kind yeah. of loving. Uh, and that's what people... So the near-death experiences are almost are very, very similar to what people describe under hypnosis when they die and then go into that spirit state. They describe the same thing. They'll describe a beautiful mm. light a wonderful feeling of calm and peace and love and, uh, and then meeting up with, with other dead relatives, people that have died and, and connecting with them right. with a sense of no judgment, with a sense that, that everything's fine. Everything is as it's meant to yeah. be. So, yeah. Wow. I, I explained the, um, the, gave the answer, but that's, that's as best that I can do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Yeah. But I do think the, yeah, go for it. No, what, what do you think? No, I was going to say, I do think those, um, the near-death experiences and the psychedelics and the, and, and the hypnosis in some way are doing something similar. They're, they're switching off the, the, the busy brain and, and allowing us to tap into um, to a higher consciousness. Um, and, it, it, you know, that's, um, that, that, that fascinates me. So I, I, I do think the next major shift in um in conscious in science will be to do with consciousness i think one of your your um, speakers um talked about max planck um and uh, and one of his sayings but my favorite saying of max planck who was the you know the nobel prize winner physicist right. um he said science changes funeral by funeral <laughs> and i um <laughs> and i kind of like that it's um it's, it's yeah. really hard to, to let go of our, our current paradigms and the, and the way we think, see things. And, and look, in talking about all of the psychic stuff as well, um, it's really, you know, there are charlatans out there. There are people who are pretending to be mediums and, and they're not. There are people who, you know, who are saying they're psychics and are going to tell you. And there are charlatans. But that, for me, and that's what people often go to because they're fearful of this stuff and they, they think it's all a bit too, you know, 
uh, it's too hard to believe. They'll, they'll quote those kind of people on the charlatans. But that doesn't mean people like, you know, John Edward or um, Laura Lynn Jackson or Deborah Diamond. You know, I think they're, they're the real deal. You know, they're legit. Right. So, that, you know, so if you've got people who are, the, you know, who are faking it or are charlatans, that doesn't mean the others aren't, aren't real. So, and for right. me, that... Yeah, diverse and intentional way. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so, excellent. What else? What else? Anything else about uh, consciousness specifically before I ask you kind of what's coming next next from you? Is there anything else you want to get out you know, from all of this related to consciousness specifically? No, I, um, I look, I think that's the, it is, it's, I think the, in the end, the, the consciousness is something so expansive and so extraordinary that, that it, it goes way beyond anything that our, our current science can tap into and, and, and maybe we'll ever be able to properly tap into. And, and that's what makes it so hard. But I, I do think we have the potential to um, explore it, you know, in ways and understand it a whole lot better than, um, than we do. And I do think that will be the next major shift in science. Um, but it, but, but it, will, it, will, it will happen slowly. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that things like past life regressions can be become part of, you know, um, psychiatry. It's like anything, any, yeah. you know, any form of treatment, it can be used properly or it can be used poorly. Um, so I think used properly and, and appropriately, it can be, um, can be really, really helpful. Um, yeah, I, I, look, there's, there's more I could talk about, you know, Brian Weiss used to do these psychometric exercises with, with big groups, you know, they'd go into a, a light hypnotic state and, uh, and focus on the person next to them. And, um, and they come up with information a, as a result of that. Um, then and it would be a person they didn't know at all, you know, someone that they were right. at, at a, um, and they, they'd, um, they, it just is quite, you know, there was one particular one I remember, which he, he quotes. Um, so you'd, you'd get an object from the person next door. They might give you a ring or a watch and you'd focus on that and, and go into a, a sort of a light hypnotic trance, but really focus on that. And then you'd, at the end of that, he'd get you to talk to each other and say, well, what, what, did, what came up, you know, what, what things did you experience? Um, and it could be anything at all. And he'd say to the people, you know, he'd say, just, you know, don't, don't hold back. You know, if something came to you, just mention it. And, um, and there's a classic one where the woman said, well, you know, you know, I had the, the, the ring of, of the, the lady next to me. I've never, never met her before. But when I was focusing on that ring and focusing on her, I just kept getting three little pigs, um, coming into my brain. It just, <laughs> she said, it was a bit embarrassing, but because you said, I have to say it. Um, I told her, you know, that I just kept getting three little pigs. And of course, when she right. told her, the woman burst into tears um, because mm. her father, who had recently deceased, had given her um, a little statue of three little pigs, um, mm. which she had held on to and, and was, was, had great sentimental value. So, you know, there are, there are lots of lovely stories. So for me, at the moment, in terms of, of shifting that thinking, um, it is that willingness to, to look at those stories and say, well, we can't explain them. We can't explain them by current science. But the fact that we can't yeah. explain it doesn't mean they don't exist. You know, it's, it's best not to, um, not to discuss it. Um, we've got to, we've got yeah. to and, and not, not to, not to be freaked out by that, not to be scared of it. And every, every, all of my senses and everything I've, you know, in terms of people near death experiences and, and um, is that it's something quite lovely. 
Um, it's not something to be frightened of. Um, it's it's right. something that's, that's quite wonderful, but we've, we've got a long way to go in terms of understanding it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that people like you are taking a look at it and sharing these experiences because we can't just say no to it. We got to take a look and just see, see what it means. So I'm, I'm really grateful for all the work you do and, and all the information you share and even more grateful that you were willing to come here and, and talk to me about this. So thank you very much, Dr. Weber. My absolute pleasure, sir. That concludes another edition of the Consciousness Podcast. Thanks again for listening. Please find us at Facebook at facebook.com slash the Consciousness Podcast at our Twitter handle at ConchCast. And don't forget to subscribe to our feed at theconsciousnesspodcast.com. Thank you for listening.